Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your host, Doug, and my co-host today is Tiffany. Hello. And in the background is Damien. Hello. And today we have a very special guest, an interview with uh, Rosemary Fry, who is an investigative journalist. You may have seen her stuff on Off Guardian, um, as well as uh, Global Research. Uh, she was interviewed recently by James Corbett on the Corbett Report. So, yeah, welcome, uh, Rosemary. Great to be here. Thanks, Doug and Tiffany. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe to start off, you can give us a little bit of your background, because I know you um, had a, a kind of an interesting voyage to where you are right now. So maybe you can let our viewers know how you got here. Sure, happy to. Um, so I, ha I started in, as an academic or hoping to be an academic. I started, uh, I was going to do a PhD, then I ended up doing just a master's degree in molecular biology. Then I switched into freelance uh, journalism uh, right after that or actually while I was starting my, finishing my master's. And then I morphed into medical journalism specifically back in 1994, I think it was. Um, and then I was just a freelance medical writer and journalist for 22 years. I did some stuff for the dark side as well, for pharma companies and marketing materials. And I finally woke up and stopped doing that. Uh, because I saw how bad it was, and I tried, and then I tried in my articles to show all the lies from pharma, but I just sort of had enough, and I quit that four years ago, and just turned to full-time um, activism and investigative journalism, and that's, and then this year, I started writing about COVID and for Off Guardian. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well, maybe mm. to start with, we can talk about um, you did uh, an article. Um, on Off Guardian that was called uh, No One Has Died from the Coronavirus. And yes. in that, you kind of detail um, some evidence put forward by uh, Dr. Stoyan Alex Alexov. Um, yes. Well, maybe you can j just tell us about that rather than me trying to kind of introduce it. But uh, it, it was um, relatively controversial. And I know you got kind of, um, well, fact checked on it at one point, And we could maybe go in, into that as well. But um, what, what, what was uh, Dr. Lexoff actually, actually saying that was so controversial? Well, and the title of the article is No One Has Died from the, the Coronavirus. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of... Because he was saying that at, at in a webinar, May 8th webinar of the European Society of Pathology, that the consensus among the participants is that no one has died of the novel coronavirus. There's no proof as pathologists. There's no concrete proof that people have died of the novel coronavirus of COVID as opposed to anything else. There's the flu or all their underlying conditions. They're mostly, of course, old people and they have, a lot of them have had serious conditions. So there's no way for them to tell what really killed them. Mm -hmm. Or there's certainly no way for them to tell that they died of COVID. He's saying there's no, there's no what's called monoclonal antibodies, um, which are, uh, when you, you produce antibodies, when you're challenged with some, a foreign substance, you often or sometimes produce antibodies and some of those are very specific to that particular foreign substance. Mm -hmm. And then they clone those in the, in the lab to produce monoclonal antibodies. And he said the consensus is there are no monoclonal antibodies to the novel coronavirus. And you need those monoclonal antibodies to then to show specific, exactly in tissues from people who have died. So autopsy tissue sections 
you have to show pinpoint here is the monoclonal sorry here is the novel coronavirus and you without very specific antibodies to the novel coronavirus you can't pinpoint it right so, so he's basically yeah. saying that I, I mean is it, correct me if i'm wrong but it kind of sounds like he's saying that they haven't really isolated this virus and actually determined definitively that it's there essentially he didn't talk about the isolation so much, mm. but the fact that he said there are no monoclonal antibodies to it. And so if you, by induction, you can say, mm -hmm. well, then, and the other things they said, and in another webinar on June 25th show, they have a heck of a time finding it. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, and it should be, of course, when they're looking at the autopsies of people who have said, who are said to have died of COVID, the lung should be crawling with the novel coronavirus, because mm. that's of course, the main t uh, target organ. That's where the novel coronavirus has shows, supposedly shows its effect. So that should be extremely easy to find the novel coronavirus and the viral particles. And they take hours to find it. So, right. if, and they don't even know when they find it, whether it's really the novel coronavirus or something else. Right. And so, yeah, they don't, he didn't t specifically talk about the isolation part, but I did in my, my more recent article. Right. And he also said that um, that the sorry that um, oh yeah that was the other one he would, he said he believes that it's currently impossible to create a vaccine against the virus. Do you know what he he meant by that specifically? Well, he we asked him we me and my co-author uh, of that article Patrick Corbett emailed Dr. Alexov with a few questions including. Um, what do you mean by saying you can't, we can't, there can be no vaccine against COVID? He didn't respond. He just said, you know, I, I support what you're doing. Or I, we quoted his email in the uh, July 2nd article. He didn't answer our questions. And so, mm. but in my, in my article, uh, my most recent one, I, I sort of go into some information, details about, a little bit of detail about, well, why can't there be a vaccine? Including, well, if it doesn't really exist, how can you have a vaccine against it? Right. I mean, it's... Oh. It, sorry, go ahead, Tiff. Well, uh, I was just going to say that one can see from at least the mainstream point of view why they would want to fact check this particular statement from uh, the doctor saying that no one has died from coronavirus if they haven't been able to isolate any of these monoclonal antibodies and the whole COVID lockdown and the whole mask wearing and the social distancing and the shutting down of the economy is based upon the existence of these antibodies and the existence of the vi virus itself. I mean, to say that is pretty jaw-dropping, like you wrote in your article. Like, um, one of the things you wrote in the article was, therefore, in the absence of monoclonal antibodies to the novel coronavirus, pathologists cannot verify whether SARS-CoV-2 is present in the body or whether the disease and deaths attributed to it indeed were caused by the virus rather than something else. I think that knocks a huge hole in the whole coronavirus uh, narrative. Yeah, narrative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like that very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of goes beyond that, too. And as, as you kind of say in the article, that um, it's kind of what everything is also based on as far as like the testing, um, the vaccine, all those kinds of things. There's so many implications involved in this having that monoclonal antibody that if that isn't actually um, found, identified, used, 
then it kind of puts all these other things into question that, that are, are going on in the context of this whole coronavirus mayhem. Yeah, it's where the big money is, and yeah. they want to make sure they make that big money, whether it's the testing kits, um, PCRs also, but that's a little separate, but the, all the antibodies, and they're developing all these antibodies to it, and of course, the, the immunity passports or certificates they're going to be using to let people leave their dwellings, basically, or never mind traveling, mm-hmm. and, uh, and of course, the vaccines, and oh, it's just huge money, so you can't, it's hard to stand in the way of that roaring train, thou shalt not uh, <laughs> raise your hand and say stop, and this, this is a hoax, it, so they had to work hard to uh, fact check our, our article. <laughs> yeah. So what was the comeback when it was pointed out that these monoclonal antibodies were not actually verified or their identity has not been verified? What was the fact checkers comeback to that? Oh, they said, well, here are these five studies that show that, uh, that they do exist. Um, and uh, there are monoclonal antibodies to it. But I looked at all five papers, and it's, it's actually a little humorous, if I may say so. One of the papers didn't even mention, metal, mono, one of those five papers didn't even mention monoclonal antibodies, so that's a <laughs> uh, And what did I say in my, this is the article that I just wrote a couple of weeks ago um, on the fact-checking, the fact-checkers. So one of them doesn't even mention an, uh, monoclonal antibodies. Three of the others involve monoclonal antibodies to SARS-CoV rather than SARS-CoV-2. And so they, they cross, they cross bind to supposedly to SARS-CoV-2. And the fifth reference uses two antibody tests, but neither, as I detail in one of the appendices to the article, neither of uh, the tests has been shown to be specific to the novel coronavirus or even to be accurate at all. And also, the, I'm just reading from my article, the five papers authors didn't provide any objective verification that the novel coronavirus truly is present. So That seems like it, the kind of modus operandi for a lot of these fact checkers. And um, the, uh, what was the, the, the one called that were you doing yours? It was healthfeedback.org, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it seems like they, they kind of do that, you know, it's almost like they're just trying to intimidate people by, you know, disputing the points and throwing in some references or something like that, kind of assuming that the average person isn't going to bother checking the references or anything. Mm, um, right. But it's kind of clout, you know, they've thrown some studies at you. So um, people see that and think, oh, okay, well, I guess, the, you know, case closed. But really, if if you do what what you know, you're doing and what you, you should do is actually look into those things and see, well, what are these things actually saying? You know, is there actually evidence against the point that I made? Or is this just another smokescreen? And I, I say that to people just about every day when a claim is being made, whether in a fact check like this or anything, take a little bit of time to try to verify at least part of that information, whether it's some newspaper article about all these children dying of multi-organ failure caused by COVID. Well, take a look. Look for that paper on that on that on this set of children. How many children were involved? You know, there, where there's any correction for other factors that may may have been involved. There's just so many ways that people themselves can be their own fact checkers and poke and see right away that this is just, as you said, it's a smoke screen. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, uh, the health feedback is part of a, um, a group that's funded by the World Health Organization. Uh, it's, it's a project called Vaccine Safety Net. 
<laughs> and and health fact feedback is also certified through the International Fact Checking Network, which sounds fancy, but it's funded by our buddies, the you know the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Among of course, are the so it doesn't take long to just follow the money. Always follow the money. Yeah. Absolutely. And in your article, you actually go a lot into the detail of kind of some of the, the people who are behind this fact check um, network. And I mean, it seems like, you know, we've, we've looked at um, this kind of stuff in, in the past, like uh, these uh, fact check um, sites or institutions, whatever you want to call them. And it seems like if you follow it back far enough, there's always a vested interest. And it doesn't really take you that long to find it like eventually like you said follow the money um you eventually get to a point where it's kind of like oh okay well that's why this person is debunking this article because they get paid you know their paycheck is coming from whatever they're debunking so i'm not surprised in the least that these guys actually are, are tied to uh bill and melinda gates or, or any of these other i mean you go into a number of different things that they're they're kind of attached to and they're expert who they bring in to say that you know that conspiracy theorists don't like data. He is hugely conflicted himself. Um, so, you know, it, it, but I read somewhere that they don't even try to hide their, their um, following the money, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Because it took me, it doesn't take long at all to, to find this information. I think they just know that, that so many people won't, won't dig into it yeah. and that a number of people are kind of, well, kind of comfortable with the narrative that they're selling, so they they want to know that the that there is no conspiracy, that there's nothing there, and they can kind of sleep soundly, you know, knowing that everything is right in the world. And it's uh, more people like us who are kind of like, well, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Um, and we're the minority, and a lot of times, uh, you know, our audience is nearly as big. So, well, considering your background, Rosemary, you've been an investigative journalist. You said for. 22 years or so? Uh, more four years. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was just pure kind of medical journalist and writer before that. Okay. So. Well, when did you, your suspicions become aroused regarding this whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic? Like, when did you first start to think that something didn't quite add up? Within about a week. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling people, my gut is telling me there is something wrong. So I rolled up my sleeves and I wrote a really long blog entry, about 5,000 words about, well, here's the, here's the chronology and how it's boom, boom, boom. And I talk about event 201 and following the money with Bill Gates. So that I was doing it for myself, the blog, just to see, uh, well, let's put things together and see what, what happens, what you find, what I found out. And, and it just was pretty clear that, um, there's just too much, there was too much coordination of, of too many things happening, at too many levels of government around the world. Mm -hmm. And an event 201 was like telling the model of what was about to happen. It's just, and yeah, so it didn't take long. And my well, first article then was for Off Guardian on April 4th, which was talking about, there was a videotape in which Bill Gates essentially said, well, this is why we want the lockdowns, because we don't want too many people exposed to the virus, because we want to be making and selling antivirals and vaccines. Yeah, he came came right out and said that. Yeah, and actually, uh, people can see your article on that. It's called, Did, Did Bill Gates Just Reveal the Reason Behind the Lockdowns? It's on Off Guardian as well. 
And the real the reason it went viral and many other people places covered it was because there was one sentence in the interview that I that was deleted. I'd, I'd audio taped the interview and then I checked again an hour or two later and that sentence was gone. It was what Gates was saying that they're going to be using these immunity passports to to limit people's travel. So. Well, it seems like for some reason, like with the that statement that Bill Gates made about the immunity passports and the event 201, it seems like they and they as in the powers that be always have to broadcast or give some kind of forewarning of what they're going to do. It seems like it just seems like to me, if I were going to foist a, a pandemic upon the populace i would not you know have video of event 201 all over the internet for people to see mm. i always question like why do they do that what is the whole purpose of that yeah it's very interesting it's mm. it's almost like they're flexing their muscle they say we're so powerful yeah that we could just show what we're going to do and and our propaganda is so thick that we can fool the, the majority of the population to, into believing us, into believing mm -hmm. public health. And, to, and it, mind you, too, this, has, this isn't, they've been, they, all the build up to this has been kind of, you could say, decades in the making. And we yeah. see that especially with vaccines, how now, when I spoke at the Board of Health last year, me and dozens of others in Toronto spoke at the Board of Health they were move, moving these motions to prohibit any information about any problems with any vaccines mm -hmm. and saying there, and one counselor who's on the board was saying there's no such thing as bodily autonomy. And they have the support of the media and they censor, they censor people saying, wait a second, we have a problem. But the vast majority of people call us anti-vaxxers, anybody who questions yeah. anything. So there's a long, this has been a long campaign and there's a reason they focused on on silencing vac people with questions about vaccine. Yeah. And, and trusting public health. Public health is much more authoritative than, than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, this has been going on way, way before COVID-19. Uh, I started noticing how strong the push was for uh, cracking down on any kind of exemptions on vaccines when there was uh, measles outbreaks years ago. That's when I started noticing that they mm. were really, really going for the gusto as far as, you know, not allowing anybody to get out of vaccines. And like in Australia, where they had the no jab, no pay and various other uh, wow. uh, countries that were initiating uh, things that make it just very, very difficult for people to opt out of being vaccinated or have their children vaccinated. Yeah. So you've been following this. Yeah, we've been woken up much longer than I have on this. Yeah. It's it's so crazy, too, because it's even on the face of it, the idea, they, they try to put this idea across that vaccines, there is no potential for any harm from them. You know, it's like they can't admit that there's any any potential for, for any harm, anything. But if, even on the face of it, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, any pharmaceutical um, drug has side effects. So, of course, there's going to be some level of danger, but anytime anybody has, you know, and, and if there's any level of danger, then a person has the right to question that, to question whether or not and determine for themselves whether they want to put themselves in that danger or not. So, it's almost like they have to put up this wall of propaganda that there is absolutely no harm possible from these vaccines, which is ridiculous, but people seem to buy it. 
um, it seems to work. You know, if the media 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all, anytime they mention vaccines, it's the idea that they are 100% safe and 100% effective, then, you know, that's what people end up believing. And I talked to journalists who wrote an article for a national newspaper about in, Toronto, in Canada about five, this article came out about five years ago saying there are some problems with vaccines. And he told me that an editor talked to him after that saying, you're never going to write anything about any problems with vaccines anymore. So the media, yeah, the censorship. And I, I tried to uh, write an article last year for um, boingboing.net out of the, out of the U S about, I said to the editor, look, there's some problems with vaccines. Why can I write an article about, not just, you know, saying, look, there's lots of articles about, about great things about vaccines. Why are there no articles about problems with vaccines? And the editor, Cory Doctorow, said, well, first of all, I've got very smart friends and they tell me vaccines are safe and effective. And another reason <laughs> is that, well, vaccine companies don't make many money out of vaccines. So what's the big deal? <laughs> that's that's a total, <laughs> you know, like he told me that I've got the email to prove it. Oh, my so, God. And I, you look it up. This is huge money makers. So the, the editors themselves, the gatekeepers are I think he's got some conflicts of interest and it's, it's problematic. So it's like uh, Plato's cave. People mm -hmm. in, in the population only see the images projected in front of them. And our job is to escape that cave, man, mm -hmm. and breathe the air and be free and we seek the truth. Exactly. Yeah, not only do the big pharma companies make astronomical profits from the vaccines they're indemnified from any kind of <laughs> lawsuits when their vaccines harm people yes and i um and at when we spoke at the board of health last year there was just before the board of health meeting started there was a press conference saying with uh, joe cressy the chair of the board of health and uh, public health officials and a woman who ostensibly had polio and this woman who had polio could have been acute uh, flaccid paralysis instead, but that's a whole other thing um, because you need a, a fecal test to tell whether it's polio or this AFP, which mimics, uh, okay. which mimics polio. And she said, well, you know, we're talking about setting up a vaccine a compensation program in you know, injury compensation program here. And that way the pharma companies will have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and I said that in my little, when I made remarks at the board of health meeting, that board of health meeting, I said, that's not true at all. She lied. They lie in these press conferences. They lie in what they tell the public. In fact, these, the damages paid at these, when people are successful at these, at these uh, courts, for vaccine injury is that money is paid by you and me, the taxpayers, yeah. the, the vaccine it was back in 86 or it's been dec a decade since the vaccines are declared, at least in the States and also here to be unavoidably unsafe. And so that's just the way it is. And so we, the taxpayers pay any damages, not the pharma companies are, are indemnified. Right. Which completely gives, gets rid of any incentive they have for actually making them safe. Particularly if Thank it's going to cost them more money to do the safety testing and put it through the proper procedures, then, you know, then there's, there's zero, you know, um, because there's zero accountability, they have zero um, motivation to actually make them safe. And I, at the beginning of last year, I'll just mention this. I looked into the whole case of Dr. Andrew Wakefield. There's an excellent mm. article on a website by, by healthcare practitioners and MDs, PhDs about the Wakefield case. And it's like, oh, my God, he was framed. I really hadn't mm. realized that. Ah. If you read it, it's clear. I read the BMJ article uh, and, and I looked at the pathology reports. My dad's a pathologist. What I grew up with his stuff. You can read it and you can see it, he was never accused of fraud. It's not true. 
Mm. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't faking anything. And so what's been done to him? And so now the whole campaign, of course, of going after him means that nobody can question, you know, just, just sky, the rates of autism are skyrocketing, but you're not, nobody's really looking into why, except people who are concerned about vaccines. Um, but you're not supposed to question that. You're just supposed to say, oh, it's okay that huge percentages of the, uh, of young people these days are, are compromised in terms of their neuro, neuro, neurological development and mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah. yeah. And they're and, sicker than ever before and they get way more vaccines. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. And it's, uh, you know, they try to pass that off as, uh, oh, you know, our, our testing has gotten better. And uh, that's why you see these, uh, these numbers going up, but it's nonsense. I mean, if you, you just have to look around and kind of open your eyes and you can see that there is something, there's something going on. And it's not just because it's better identified. And parents are smart. They do try not to try not to vaccinate their kids. And then they get sent to these. I don't know about in France or in Ohio, but when you go, parents who don't want to vaccinate their kids are sent to these vaccine education sessions, which is so Orwellian. And I went to one just to, I don't have children, but I went to um, to listen on I audio recorded it. And it's, hmm. I've, as I'd mentioned earlier, I've written for pharma companies and this is, I could just, tell right away this is pure farmer propaganda there's nice soft music and there's cartoon characters and they say oh adverse events are, are like one in a million and and formaldehyde is, occurs naturally in the body you know so it's in vaccines it's okay because it occurs naturally it's unbelievable it's so over the top and this is how they're educating people with vaccines let's follow the money a little bit shall we yeah seriously yeah that's just straight up uh, a straight feed of propaganda straight to, straight to the people who are resisting yeah. And of course, and for more disenfranchised people, I mean, they, they have these sessions not that often. They have them in fairly large halls, but they limit the number of people to, who can go to each one to like 50. So people have to take the time to be able to go to them or wait till there was a session available. Then, of course, they don't then sign your exemption form right there. You then have to go to somebody to get your, your exemption form signed. So this totally is an attack on the, the most disenfranchised, the poor Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah uh, the crimes uh, crimes upon crimes and they're still um like allowing for um exemptions yes, i know in a lot of are. places that they're actually um they're actually uh, eliminating those i think they've been eliminating california if i'm not mistaken and uh, uh, a few other states i think and they yeah, just tried in new brunswick but can't go to school <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so so, but all we can we just have to resist and mm-hmm. resist strongly and 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 support people in wherever they're they're pushing. I just helped somebody. Uh, she's going to court uh, later this month because the father of her son wants the, her son fully vaccinated right away. She hasn't vaccinated her son, mm-hmm. so I helped her by going through the literature and finding the best papers. Um, that are you know peer reviewed, uh, don't involve animals uh, studies. It's got human study humans, and not small numbers. And and there are some there are some solid papers, including a paper published in May of this year, talking comparing unvaccinated to vaccinated children. Oh, and the vaccinated really? Children are, are, are sicker. Mm-hmm. No kidding, because I know there's been that that there was a lot of talk in the kind of community. I don't want to call them the anti-vaxxer community vaccine skeptic community maybe is a better term but that there was kind of a dearth of studies that actually did that where they took two populations one vaccinated kids one unvaccinated kids and actually just compared them which seems like the most obvious study that you would want to do um to actually be able to determine 
uh, these things. But I, did, I didn't realize that one had actually um, been done at this point. Yeah, yes. it seems like there, it was just one, though. <laughs> yeah. There was another one published uh, oh, yeah. not too long ago, I think 2017, but it was an open, it was in a journal called the Open Access Text. Hmm. And the lawyer for, understandably, the lawyer for the woman who's fighting to keep her kid safe by not pummeling it with vaccines said she wants just credit, you know, higher profile or more, um, you know, more rigorously reviewed journals. So I didn't include right. that one. And, mm -hmm. and the FDA has not done any, they've admitted they've not done studies comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated children. And, and there's all sorts of censorship at all sorts of levels. I'm sure journals, they promote the, vac the studies that show that vaccines are safe and they don't really want to publish um, ones showing any harms with vaccines. Well, so. they did such a, an efficient job with uh, Dr. Wakefield that um, I think they have completely you know, scared off any but the most kind of diligent, hardcore um, scientist. I, I can't imagine that any of them would want to uh, completely risk their reputation and their career by actually taking an honest look into vaccines at this point. Yeah, there was somebody, this woman I was helping, she sent me a video of a pediatrician in mm. the States uh, in November testifying about dangers of vaccines. Mm. So personally, I, to be completely honest, I don't completely understand people who aren't willing to stand up and mm. say we're we're harming thousands and thousands of children and we have a responsibility yeah. to you know we can we can retire it or whatever you know mm. some of them surely can and say we have a duty responsibility to humankind to the to speak up so i don't quite understand but i, I guess yeah people yeah. worry about their they're paying their mortgages and sending their kids to school yeah i guess that's what i'm thinking you're absolutely right um I, yeah to say that i understand Maybe is more like I I, I understand pe people who are more concerned about that kind of stuff, like somebody maybe who isn't driven to kind of like uh, put that kind of thing out there. Um, maybe more the your average kind of scientist has a choice of which direction he could go, and maybe wouldn't choose vaccines after seeing what happened to it's it's being they're being dissuaded. I guess is what I'm saying. And I said that's right. Doctor Wakefield actually had to leave the UK, so that's a good mm. point. You pay a very high price. For mm. You can for speaking up, but more and more people I think are starting to because there's it's so bad out there now. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, I guess an argument can be made, and of course you'd have to ask Dr. Wakefield himself if his life has improved or not after what happened to him. Mm -hmm. It seems like the example that was set by him probably got a lot of people who are more on the fence about vaccination to come over to the other side of truth just based on what happened to him and how severely they cracked down on him. So maybe in a way, maybe his life has improved, but I think that he, what happened probably opened up a lot of people's eyes whose eyes would have remained closed otherwise. So in a way, maybe it was a good thing. I yeah. hope so. And apparently he just has a new documentary that came out called 1986, which mm -hmm. is the year that um, the, the U.S. legislation or, you know, was passed saying that, that um, vaccine companies are completely in, indemnified uh, yeah. to pay damages. So I'm looking forward to seeing his documentary. Definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, obvious things that people or scientists could do, like when you were speaking about uh, comparing vaccinated children to non-vaccinating children, it seems like another obvious thing that scientists 
would do when it comes to the coronavirus is see if they fulfill Koch's or Cox postulates. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems that that has not been done. And you wrote about that in your article as well, Rosemary, on the, the fact checking. Yes, the fact that because the Cox postulates, or however we pronounce it, Cox postulates, they um, you have to show that the this pathogen occurs in every case of the disease in question. I'm just reading from my article that I co-wrote with Amory Devereaux, and it came out on um, back in June, on June 9th. Um, so it, they have to occur, have to be present in every um, case of the disease. And the ca cause of microorganism occurs in no other disease. Is it, just, it can't just be a fortuitous or non-pathogenic parasite. It has to be the cause. It has to cause the disease, cause this disease. And then a key one also is after being fully isolated from the body and grown in tissue culture or cloned, it can induce the disease in you. And we show how these postulates have not been fulfilled, that um, there, there doesn't seem to have been isolated um, and that they, when their article is talking about the, the, the virus has fulfilled the Cox postulates, they say, well, we've done the preliminary work and there's still more to be, work to be done. And <clears> you'd think this would be front and center saying, well, that we've done it and here's all the proof. But the, unfortunately, there is no such thing. And another pair of writers for um, Off Guardian wrote an article saying the same thing. And they also said they approached all of the authors of the main papers, seminal early papers on isolation of the virus to say, well, did you actually isolate an image? They showed Im images of these viral particles and they said, are those, asked them, are those images of the isolated virus? Do you know it's the normal coronavirus? And none of them said, we know it's, it is. Mm. So it's mm. a big red flag. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, as far as, um, the coronavirus not being able to fulfill any of these postulates. Um, because the first one is like the pathogen occurs in every case of the disease in question. I mean, they're not really looking at that. And you've gone into that um, before as well with the um, the uh, the autopsies. I mean, they, the autopsies basically aren't, aren't being done, essentially. Um, and they're not actually looking to see, did this person actually die of what we think they died of? They're just kind of making this assumption. Right. They, um, they, they look for the, the um, well, for the autopsies are halted for a while. I think they've been started again. Mm. The same uh, from the WHO, gen basically that um, if somebody dies and ha has been, has tested positive at some point for COVID or the novel coronavirus, they're deemed to have died of, of COVID. And, and in my article about the Bulgarian pathologist, he said that pathologists everywhere are re are revolting against this because that's their job is to see the proof in the tissue and then put that on the deficit certificate certificate but even though there's no proof they're not finding proof that these people have died of covid they're still forced to say mm -hmm. that they died of covid and he said we're just we're just completely are abandoning our responsibility our ethics and people in a few years are going to be saying these guys did not, were not doing their job because the tissues are kept, can be kept for decades, for hundreds of years. And so a person in a few years or many years uh, in the future can, can look at the tissue and they'll find, they'll see that there's no proof that these people died of COVID. Yeah. It's really, it, 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 the more you look into it, the more you, you realize that it really is, it seems to be a game about just getting the numbers up. 
Like all that they want to do is just inflate these numbers. So it's like anybody who dies who even just suspected of having COVID. Um, and, it, you know, the list of... Uh, in in the, well, I'm sorry, I forget which article it was actually that you wrote about it in, but it was that the, the, when they had changed the, um, how they were defining um, whether there was an outbreak. Um, it was in Ontario, I believe, and they changed it to that they only had to have one symptom and the list of, the list of symptoms was just, my jaw just hit the floor. It was like, um, you know, Everything. diarrhea, um, nausea, falling down, um, headache. You know, it was just something that somebody who's working in a, in a, in a nursing home um, is going to be seeing every day, you know. And, and suddenly, like, one of those symptoms means uh, that they have COVID. It's, it's just unbelievable. And then if they die, then they died of COVID. So and then, and, then, and I sort of try to I document in my article how they say oh you've got COVID you've got the sniffles you've got COVID we have to put you into palliative care and they, many they would die a few days later because they from dehydration and they're they're if they do get some sort of serious illness they're they're not allowed to go to hospital they're being federal uh, guidelines said you uh, you shouldn't transfer people uh, older people from long term care homes into hospitals because we need to keep room for all these hundreds of people who are going to be flooding the hospitals, which never happened in the vast no. majority of uh, jurisdictions. And also a paper um, from the New England Journal of Medicine that came out in middle, the middle of March. It was triaging guidelines. Um, and the lead author is Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, who, as I as pointed out by James Corbett, he's been tracking the career and eugenics, eugenics um, bent of Dr. Ezekiel. His his what they're trying to do is reduce the population, reduce the number of old people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, let's not give them uh, care. If, let's not allowed, let's not allow them to go to hospital. All the the young people should younger people should take precedence. And the Canadians uh, used those guidelines as well. The Canadian Medical Association said, "Oh, we don't have time to produce our own guidelines for triaging care. Let's." Um, Let's follow the New England Journal of Medicine, and um, and, and because let's face it, um, the be- government benefits, and so do corporations when they're when people die at a younger age, when there are fewer <laughs> old people. Old mm-hmm. people don't uh, contribute as much to the tax base because they're not working, getting getting income except from say their investments or their pensions, and also the the pension plans, the federal and. Uh, the pension plans uh, save money because it's expensive to pay people's pensions. And of course, corporations pay billions of dollars. These are huge liabilities are, you know, on the, on the balance sheet of, of corporations to have to pay these pensions and pensions are expensive, at least the old ones that are defined benefit. So there's many reasons to, uh, to surmise that the government benefits from fewer old people. It seems like a convenient way for them to just kind of, Push them, push them aside. You know, get rid of the old people, which is disgusting to think about. But. Well, it sounds like state-sponsored euthanasia to me. Yeah, and you know that was typically one of the fears that people bring up when they're talking about whether there should be socialized medicine or not. Uh, when they have this debate, they're saying that, well, okay, well, who's to say that there won't be death panels or, you know, mm-hmm. older people won't be pushed out of the system and eventually left to die because of socialized medicine. And then the coronavirus comes along and here we are. We have old people being left to die in nursing homes. Mm. 
And there and was, it's happening all over the world. People have sent me information. I hope that's going to be one of my next articles is how this is happening mm-hmm. in Sweden. It's happening in Italy. It's happening in the UK. And Yeah. Yeah, if anybody wants to check out Rosemary's article, um, Were Conditions for High Death Rates at Care Homes Created on Purpose, really excellent article. Check that okay. out. And there was the other thing about the, um, the Do Not Resuscitate orders as well. Um, I think that was in, was it in the UK, I think, where they were forcing these Do Not Resuscitate orders on people? in the UK. Yeah, and they were also. I, I talked about here in Canada how they they tr- sat down with the family and said, "Well, you know, you really should have a DNR." So it was pretty widespread. It's suspicious yeah. as hell. Definitely is, and that's two benefits. You get rid of the old people who are a drain on the system, and uh, you bump up the COVID numbers and increase the fear. Yeah, yeah. It's win-win. <laughs> Yet, if you don't wear your mask, you're going to kill grandma. But right. what's happening in nursing homes really shows how people really feel about grandma, I guess. Yeah. Well, how they feel about your grandma anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now they're just driving us towards compliance with everything. If you don't wear a mask or even if you have a, a medical exemption, for example, and you don't wear a mask, you can be, you're being, refu- people are being, ref- I've been, I've got a, a legitimate medical exemption and I was mm. just on holiday and I was kicked out of the hotel because I wouldn't wear a mask even though I have a medical exemption against it. Mm. They're violating people's humans. They did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be writing about that. I'll probably be filing a human rights uh, complaint. Yeah. Uh, Unbelievable. I mean, the bylaws have, there are reasons they're exemptions because you compromise people's health and psychological and physical health uh, uh, by many people's health uh, by having, forcing them to wear um, masks in there. So there are reasons there are exemptions, but yeah. those exemptions are being ignored. And where does a hotel manager get off not recognizing a medical exemption? Oh, he flipped out. He's been, these people have really, you know, been, there's the psyop on them is totally work. They're really afraid. Really has. And they said, your rights don't matter. We, your health doesn't matter. And that's okay that we can tell you that your rights and your well being don't matter. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's yeah. really bad. It's really bad. The, the, the whole mask thing is actually, it, I mean, in one way, it's, it's incredibly disappointing to see how many people have completely rolled over to this, just kind of given up any semblance of rights or anything like that and just been, and not even just, you know, giving it up and, and going along with it, but the, the, the zealousness of some of them about enforcing it like a hotel manager or like a manager in a store or something like that, who's basically screeching at people to put their masks on. And it just, it's, it's very, if, I find it very disheartening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've seen to thought of all the different angles. They know they've got people who are usually very skeptical, but somehow they've gotten that through that chink in their armor of mm-hmm. because they're they're afraid of viruses, I guess, or they they are some parts they have a blind spot. They found people's blind spots and gone for that. So mm-hmm. it's they, yeah. it's subtle enough, but strong enough to have gotten a lot of people. They they're using the same one again that they use with the vaccines as well, where it's kind of the guilt thing that. Because you're not doing this, you're putting me at risk or you're putting other people at risk. So they're really kind of tugging at the at people's empathy. It's kind of like, I don't want to get a vaccine, but I'll get it because um, I don't want to put other people at danger. And they do the same thing with the mask. It's like, by you not wearing a mask, you're putting me in danger. You're putting the rest of the community at danger. You're not being a, t- a team player and really kind of isolating people in their in their decisions. Um so I think I think that's one that they play on big time. Just the guilt, mm-hmm. just absolutely guilt people. So 
it's like a person's like, well, you know, do I want to um, be perceived as this pariah or do I want to just wear a mask? And it's kind of like, well, I guess at the end of the day, they're just going to wear a mask, you know, unless, you know, people who really kind of see through it all and can kind of um, stand up for themselves and kind of be like, no, forget it. I'm not doing this. Or, you know, choosing your battles, obviously, but, you know, taking a stand in some in some way, shape or form. And the implications are ginormous of, of compliance. So mm-hmm. if we don't stop, start, raise our head and say no at this stage, mm-hmm. I mean, we, they have, they've already got us in the palm of their hand and they're crushing us. So if we kind of, we have to, we have to, we have to, there's huge, uh, too big a price to pay for compliance. There's Absolutely. too much control they're exerting over our lives and too much surveillance. And so, yeah, that in, in itself is the reason to to uh, tend, stand up yeah. and say no. Yeah, I, I think agree. there there have been some pockets of resistance, like various places all over the world. You've mm-hmm. seen people going out and uh, protesting against the lockdowns or mask wearing. So um, I think there is a little bit of hope. And I think that with this vaccine, especially if they make it mandatory or I say otherwise mandatory where they don't actually force you to take an injection, but they make your life so difficult to make you want to take the injection. I think they might overstep. I can only hope that they, that people will finally wake up when the vaccines start to roll out and things Mm. really, really, really get bad. Hopefully things will change then, but I don't know what it'll take for, I don't even, it doesn't even have to be everybody. It could just be a third of the people in the world that says, no, we're not doing this. Mm. And maybe other people will come on board. But I think that they are going to overstep in some way and there's going to be a gigantic backlash. Yeah, most people I talk to are, are not uh, comfortable taking the vaccine. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's heartening. They have yeah. not fooled enough that many people when it comes to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they actually made a mistake making Bill Gates their their front guy for the whole thing because <laughs> that guy is not trustworthy. You know, he can wear as many nice sweaters as he wants to wear, but it's he just he he comes across as creepy to me anyway. He comes across as creepy, so I think a lot of people are like, you know, even if they might have been rather indifferent to the idea of the vaccine, it's kind of like, well, why is this guy pushing it so hard? You know, mm-hmm. and he's he just he has this this creepiness about him then anyway <laughs> like in that vaccine the video about him revealing the reason for the lockdowns he says well a lot of people are going to be suffering you know economically and he's this huge smile on his face yeah. when he's saying that like a bit of a clue that this guy is a, a sociopath yeah yeah i think that's definitely the case so for you rosemary what are some future projects that you have coming down the pipeline like are you working on anything that we should keep an eye out on <laughs> yes um uh mine uh i'll be writing about how uh people were euthanized in seniors homes mm. in different countries in the world and i'll be writing another article about um um how people uh, how, who are put who have been put in charge of um helping set up conditions for euthanasia of people in seniors homes were rewarded mm. for that oh. by getting promoted to having more power during this uh, COVID era. Those are the two that are on my front burner right now. Wow. 
and I'll, I'll ask you this uh, question, maybe just as a as a last um, question for you, Rosemary. I asked the same one to, to James Corbett, actually. Do you, do you still have hope? Do you still have hope that this is going to, you know, I don't know, blow over or um, be exposed and, and people will kind of like rise up or anything? Or what gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> well, I think the search for truth on some even spiritual level, I think mm-hmm. it's we and, and, you know, we have to stand up for truth, whatever the consequences. And even if you don't see a lot of people around you there, we don't have much choice. But I mean, even if you don't see a lot of people around you standing up and speaking out, you still have a responsibility to do so. And I think there are a lot of people who feel the same way. So that mm-hmm. certainly is on a on a, a, a bigger on the bigger, larger scope of things. That's that's sort of almost eternal hope. I don't I'm not religious, but mm. it's it's just it's in our beings to to follow the the path of of doing the right thing and um so and there's there's many 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 people who feel that way so just by doing what you're doing and what i'm doing and what hundreds of thousands of other people are doing speaking out that uh that's that's going to persist and uh more and more people waking up ultimately good will prevail over evil (laughs) (laughs) ultimately yeah (laughs) the path there may not be pretty but yeah. So, so that gives you hope too. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah. So. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's great. Um, well, thanks very much for joining us, Rosemary. I think this was really great. It's really great to uh, to get the word out there. Maybe um, can get uh, people need to to read your articles because they are very informative and uh, uh, very good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks, Doug, and thanks, Tiffany. And it's been nice hearing your views as well. It's not just a one-way exchange. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, great. Well, thanks to all our viewers for uh, watching. Uh, be join. Be sure to join us next time uh, on the next episode, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>